So, making every adult matter is the topic for this particular podcast. And I'm very pleased to say uh, we have um, a full table of panellists here uh, with me at Emmaus Hellenist Riding, who are very kindly hosting uh, this podcast for us. The staff have gone off on a training day and we've been able to storm the staff room for this afternoon. Firstly, we have Sam Thomas. Sam, welcome to the podcast. Um, tell me about your role and uh, very briefly what you do. Um, thank you for having me. Um, so I'm the policy manager for the Making Every Adult Matter Coalition, which is Clink's Homeless Link and Mind. And my role is to think about the ways that the decisions that people in power take affect those individuals and the ways in which we can make things better. But I also am very lucky to work with a team of people based across the country um, who are working with local areas and helping to support on-the-ground services to work better together. Also with us is Tassie Weaver, um, Local Networks Manager at Homeless Link. Um, you oversee support for the meme areas, I believe. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So I oversee a team of um, regional partnerships managers who work in their local areas, both with uh, meme approach areas and fulfilling lives areas who are also working um, around tackling multiple disadvantage. Um, so I kind of support them to coordinate and make sure we're all kind of doing um, similar work around the meme approach and offering the best support we can to areas who are trying to coordinate services, get some flexibility and look at what changes they can make to local systems to um, improve outcomes for this particular group. Very good. That was a very full introduction, but I think we're going to dig even further during okay. the podcast into those particular details. Finally, Emma Wagner. Um, Emma, I always um, sort of push you up the career ladder when I introduce you to people. And I, never, I can never quite remember. Are you manager or deputy manager or I'm assistant, assistant manager, manager? Assistant manager. Assistant manager. Of the Futures Service. For Humber Care yeah. Limited um, here in Hull. Good to have the three of you around the table. Now then, back in the noughties, the end of the noughties, as a fresh-faced young fella, um, I was appointed youth worker in East Hull. And about, this would be about 2007, I think it was. In my training then as a youth worker, every child matters was the buzzword within the sector. And perhaps as a, a naive youth worker, I just assumed that adult services were running perfectly smoothly. That's why we needed that particular um, project for, for children. But of course, that wasn't the case. So Sam, can you perhaps give me some understanding of the problems that had been identified within adult services and adult support that have made MEME so important? So the starting point is that when we think about people who are facing problems like homelessness, who might be sleeping rough, we know that housing and not having somewhere to live isn't the only thing that's going on in their lives that can cause problems for them. And about 10 years ago or so, uh, the charities that I work with, the three organisations, then four organisations, came together and really started to recognize the fact that although we have really good services that help people when they have housing problems, that help people if they're facing issues with drink or drugs, sometimes those services don't work together in the way that we'd hope. And they often tend to treat people's problems as if they are individual problems that exist in isolation, when actually people's lives are complicated. People's mental health problems affect their ability to find somewhere to live and to stay there. They might interact with drug and alcohol problems and people's contact with the criminal justice system and time they spend in prison might mean that they're not able to get support in a structured 
way that services might expect them to access it. So those organizations came together and said, well, if we're asking services on the ground, whether they're hostels or drug treatment services or probation services to work together in that way, as national organizations thinking about this issue, we need to do the same thing. And that's where the coalition came from. I think the other thing to say about these kind of issues is that sometimes I think people can assume that the problems that people face emerge kind of out of nowhere because of some kind of unhappy accident that happens in their lives. And certainly that does happen sometimes. But often the problems that we're going to be talking about today have their roots quite early in people's lives, um, whether that's in childhood um, through experiences of abuse and neglect and trauma um, or through poverty and, and growing up in poverty. And often the sequence of things that happens to people throughout their lives can be sadly quite predictable in terms of one problem adding up with another problem and another until people find themselves in a situation where despite their best efforts to get support, they find they're not able to get the help that they need. And that's really where the work that we do um, with all of our partners uh, comes in. Um, had the sector reached a sort of saturation point uh, beyond which it became really, really important to put a, a framework like MEME together because numbers of, of people that were needing the help of uh, an approach like this were increasing and increasing. I think it's certainly the case that a lot of the indicators have been going in the wrong direction around rough sleeping and homelessness for the last few years. So I think that's certainly been something behind our work. But it's also really important to say that we're very lucky as a country to have a lot of really good services that support people when they have problems in their lives. We have a good health service. We have um, really effective homelessness services. So I think it's less that there was a saturation point. It's more that despite the best efforts of everybody who was working to tackle these issues, there were some people who were falling between the gaps. And sometimes that was because the way that those services were designed wasn't reflecting the fact that they might have slightly different needs to the people that they've been set up for. But also I think sometimes it reflects the fact that people need to be treated as individuals to get the support they need. And that really is where a lot of the work that we do came from, is the starting point that you need to think not so much about the individual problems that somebody's facing, but the challenges they have as an individual, the things they want to do with their lives and what's stopping them from doing that. Tassie, you were nodding quite sagely throughout what Sam was saying there. Can you perhaps begin to give us um, some idea of what the meme approach, the meme framework looks like across England? Yeah, sure. So I think going on from what Sam was saying, it's really largely about coordination and partnership work and really making sure that we build a support offer around the individual that is appropriate and suitable for that one person and their needs at that time, rather than expecting people who are facing all sorts of problems and, and very chaotic lives to fit neatly into the categories that we've currently got for people. And I think what we're saying is that most services work really well for most people, but there is a group that we're interested in who they just don't work for. So we need to do something quite different. So what we've done um, at MEME is put together the MEME approach framework to give a really kind of practical tool to local partnerships who are trying to do this. And we feel the framework, um, it's a very flexible framework. It looks very different in different areas. But we do feel that if, if areas can address the seven stages that we've kind of identified um, and do something around all of those kind of aspects of the meme approach wheel, then they're going to be looking towards um, really making some improvements in, in that area as a whole area response to multiple disadvantage. 
Um, so the full meme approach wheel is available on our website at uh, meme.org.uk. To give it a brief kind of run through, where we really start in, in each meme approach area is um, bringing people together around the table and really building a solid partnership of interested and willing people who want to do something. So Tassie, tell me, who are the organisations? What is the nature of the organisation's work, the, the people that come together to create these meme partnerships? So the most important um, aspect of, of the meme partnerships is they have a real cross-sector, multi-agency feel to them. So we're looking at homelessness providers in the area, we're looking at housing departments within the council, we're looking at substance misuse services, um, criminal justice services, whether that's probation uh, with national probation services or CRC, um, police, local community wardens, uh, antisocial behaviour teams, for example, adult social care, mental health services, whether that's statutory or voluntary services, um, outreach teams, really anyone that these this kind of client group might come into contact with. Really, the wider the partnership, the better, and the broader in terms of roles and responsibilities. So we ask most meme approach areas have um, a strategic group that they set up with quite senior people who have the authority to to make key decisions and key changes in a local area, and an operational group of frontline practitioners, managers, frontline workers, and experts by experience, really importantly, to come together to identify what the systems issues are in the local area and to feed that back into the strategic group so they can really look at those issues and see what they can do about them together to make a lasting change and and again with the operational group it's really around looking at the individual you've identified starting at the point that they're at and saying rather than what can we offer this person based on what our service provides what does that person need right now that's going to make a real difference to them and together how are we going to provide that because that's how you're going to make a change for someone rather than repeating the same mistakes that services have made before with that person. How important is it to the meme approach that people with lived experience are actually around the table and having input to, to policy at a local level? It's really central to everything we're doing. If we don't listen to the voice of lived experience, we carry on making mistakes that we've made for a really long time. We need to empower people to... to make sure they know how their voice can be heard and to believe that they have a voice. And then we need to find ways to make sure that those that voices are heard and that what they're saying really has an impact, not just that we're listening, but we're doing things based on what they're saying. Um, we're doing a lot of work within our coalition ourselves to work towards a more co-produced model with people with lived experience. Um, and we're supporting areas to do that as well. Um, it's not easy. It's, it's quite tricky. Systems as they stand are not necessarily made to incorporate the voice of lived experience so that's why we're trying to kind of make the necessary changes to the systems and cultures to mean that the voice of lived experience is right in the middle of that having your voice heard can be really central to someone's recovery and to someone's um, improvement in their well-being what we've known from the fulfilling lives programs in particular is that when people have have been in very chaotic situations have had a lot of contact with services and have then kind of progress to the stage where they can really start to have an impact on how services are run for the next kind of group of people who are going to face these issues that empowerment and that voice can be really central to someone's um, recovery to their identity um, so we really want to harness that voice and um, help people find their voice and find places where their voices um, can really have an impact as much as we can. 
Can you tell me something about the numbers involved? How many meme partnerships are there now? And for each partnership, how many people are they supporting? So thanks to um, recent funding from the Big Lottery Fund, um, we've just managed to roll the meme approach out over 23 areas across England. Um, so that, that started from sort of last year. And we also support the 12 Fulfilling Lives areas who are also doing this kind of similar work around multiple needs, um, as I mentioned. Um, each meme approach coordinator. So we ask each meme approach area to have coordinators to really work on the frontline aspect and, and be that one point of contact for the for the client so that they're not trying to deal with six or seven different agencies at once, which can be really confusing. For that meme coordinator, we suggest that they have no more than 10 people that they're working with each. What we know and what the evidence has shown is, is that to really make a difference, you need a small client group that you can really build relationships with, build trust with, because these are people that have often been let down time and time again. And we need to be able to show them why they should trust us now and what's different. And that takes time. And there's nothing that you can really substitute for just spending time with someone and being there. So the people um, that are receiving the support from the meme approach, how are those individuals actually identified? Who makes the referral? Again, as I said, this does look different in different areas, so we don't want to be overly prescriptive. But what we've seen that works really well in meme approach areas is for their operational group, so their group of frontline professionals who have come together, to all have a say in who should be on that caseload. Because what we don't want is to create a multiple needs service run by one organisation. We want the whole area to be brought into this, and we want a whole range of people to be referred in. Um, because multiple needs or multiple disadvantage doesn't just look one way, it's many different things. What what areas generally do is everyone will bring to the table uh, people they're concerned about, people they'd like to refer into this multi-agency approach, and then as a team, the professionals will discuss together who is it that we think we should be trying this new way of working, this new intervention with. Um, for some areas, they might focus that around people who are rough sleeping. In other areas, it's a real mix, and it really depends on the local area and how they want to develop their programme of work. Perhaps Sam, can you tell me how easy is it to attract the organisations to the table? I think we've been really pleasantly surprised and impressed by the willingness of organisations that we've worked with from a whole range of sectors, so both organisations in the voluntary sector, but statutory agencies too, to sit down and and consider a different way of working. And I think one of the reasons for that is that they recognise the benefits that it can bring. Everybody who works in any form of kind of social service or support wants to see people live more successful, more fulfilling lives. And I think increasingly they're recognising that, for instance, if somebody is facing problems with homelessness, the response to that isn't just going to be about housing. They need the support of other agencies. That's not to say it's easy. And certainly one of the things that, that I've learned through the work that we've done is that partnership working is never straightforward um, and sometimes can be quite frustrating. Different organisations have different funding. They have different motivations for the work they're doing. And often they have different ways of relating to the individuals that they're providing support to. Um, so certainly there's a lot of work that needs to be done. I don't think anybody should underestimate the uh, the time that needs to be put into building those partnerships. But I think generally speaking, we've been really lucky to have the support of all of these organisations in putting the approach into, into practice. And it really is their approach. It's their way of dealing with the issue. So when a meme partnership comes together, 
are the individual organizations taking on more of a workload or are there sort of time efficiencies even to be had across the partnership? So what we know through a lot of the um, client groups that the mean partnerships are working with, many of these people come into contact with services time and time and time again. In some respects, there is there is added time that people are going to have to put into this and we there's no kind of shying away from that. However, partnerships do start to reap the rewards of that very quickly um, in less missed appointments, less duplication across services. So, um, you know, most partnerships, they might meet once a month, they might meet once a week operationally. But if you're not having time wasted um, and also obviously lots of money wasted and that person suffering again and again and again, then we do think it's worth that investment of time. But, you know, we do know as well that services are massively struggling at the minute and it's a big ask to um, to get people to go to yet another meeting. So one emphasis that we have really strongly, and I know all the partnerships managers and me really try to focus on this when they're supporting their areas, is that this isn't just another meeting where we go um, and talk about people's problems because that's not really getting anyone anywhere. We take a very solution-focused approach. We take a very strengths-based approach and we ask partnerships to come together rather than your average multi-agency meeting of, you know, what's wrong with this person this week. Um, we really ask partnerships to start thinking, well, what, where is this person's strengths? What are their aspirations and how can we help them get there? And I think if you can invite people and encourage people to come along to another meeting, that feels different and feels more like you're getting somewhere, then people are more likely to put the time in. So Emma, let me draw you in. Um, I I see you at many meetings, of course. Um, These mean meetings then, are they meetings for meetings sake or are you sort of fully invested because you're seeing some rather wonderful outcomes? The quality of the meetings are definitely not just your average meeting. People are having the opportunity to suggest changes to systems where we never thought we would be able to make those suggestions previously. Obviously, everyone in each service works to their own remit. They've got their own rules to follow. Um, This is kind of giving everybody an open door to make those suggestions, to change the systems um, and to look at what we can do differently collectively for the benefit of the service users. It's about thinking outside the box, really, and fitting around, instead of a service user, fitting into the services criteria, we're fitting around them instead. I'm getting the impression, really, that meme is not a rigid approach. There's plenty of flexibility. Things are going to look different across uh, across the area. Absolutely. We don't tell people the best way to think about how they want to change the way that they work. I think our focus as an organization, as a group of organizations, is much more on how do you ask the right questions? How do you learn from the things that work and the things that don't work? And how do you respond to what you're hearing from the people who are ultimately benefiting from the services that you provide and the support that you offer? And that, I think, increasingly is a big part of our work, is making sure that not only do you have all of the services and agencies in an area working together effectively. But actually, I think the people who often get a little bit lost in all these discussions, the people who are facing challenges in their lives and often have their voices ignored or or even suppressed, that they have a really kind of central role in making sure the support that they get is what works for them and will help other people too. So the meme approach isn't um, a project that has... um, it's not the latest fad that is going to last for two or three years until the funding runs out. 
this is actually a, a different way of doing things that starts now and is open-ended is that right we hope so so um if you look at the meme approach wheel as you get around kind of towards the end we're looking at sustainability and systems change what we really mean by that is the the work that emma's talking about that you kind of do through your operational group in these areas is really great at getting flexibility from willing people and from services who are kind of on board with this what we really need to do in these local areas is make sure that this these changes are embedded so written into contracts commissioning cycles that actually allow for complexity and allow for flexibility around these clients we need it to go beyond the will of a few good people in an area so we really have a focus on 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 systems change in the area and helping to embed this good practice so that it lives beyond the life of this project so sam is it important that the commissioners themselves are part of the partnership yes absolutely i think a lot of what actually happens in terms of providing support to individuals is dictated by decisions that are made in councils, that are made in clinical commissioning groups, that are made by people working in in the probation service. Those people are incredibly important, but it's also important to recognise the degree of pressure they're under. Funding has been scarce for many of these services for, for several years now, and it's getting worse. And I think we're always very clear about the fact that this isn't about saying that people have failed in their ability to support people, because the amount of support they're able to provide has been shrinking. It's about saying the way that you respond to that, the way you respond to a situation where funding is scarce and people are having to do more for for less money, is to think really carefully about the best use of those resources and to support people in doing that. So we're certainly not in the business of saying to people, the way you've commissioned these services doesn't work and you need to sort it out. The conversation is much more about What's the best way you can make use of the scarce resources you've got and provide the support that's going to work best for individuals? That's always the starting point for the conversation. And and a lot of the changes that we're um, advocating for in the meme approach areas is not necessarily more resources, but it's a different way of working and a different way of understanding this client group. Um, So we really ask areas to adopt a trauma-informed approach and to really understand how past experiences impact on a person's current behavior a person's current values and belief systems we ask areas to take a strengths-based approach which again doesn't come at an extra cost it's just a different way of working um so really a lot of this is about culture change changing attitudes um and beliefs about this client group um which you know as we've said that that's not something that needs a load of money behind it it needs um just a you know a new approach and a different way of working and understanding this client group you used two terms there. Um, I'd yes. like to ask you about those as uh, someone who's still a little wet behind the ears myself. <laughs> you used the terms trauma-based approach yes. and strength-based approach. Yes. Just outline those very, very briefly for me. Um, so as Sam mentioned earlier, um, there are lots of indicators that we know um, kind of predict some of the people that might end up in this client group. So we know that childhood trauma... Um, plays a massive part in predicting if someone might experience multiple disadvantage in adulthood. Um, a trauma-informed approach would understand that, would understand that previous experience, previous negative experience with services is going to impact how people, how people engage with services in adulthood. Um, so things like um, rigid rules, um, evictions, exclusions only go to kind of perpetuate the feeling that that person already has of being excluded and being an outsider and not quite fitting in and and not feeling that services are there for them. 
um, a trauma-informed approach, trauma approach sorry, would, would really try and understand all this and would understand that, okay, this person might have missed five appointments with you, but what's the reason behind that? Is it that this building has some significance for them, therefore they're never going to come to the council to meet you, for example? Do you need to go to them? So really trying to understand on a case-by-case -case basis what it is that's kind of impacting on this person's behaviour, I suppose. Um, the strengths-based model... Um, a lot of these sectors that we're working in have historically been very de deficit based. So when you go into a service as um, as a service user, generally you will be asked to list out all of your problems, all of the things that are wrong with you, how bad they are, how long they've been that bad. Not very often are you asked what are your strengths, what are your aspirations and how can we help you achieve these? Emma, I want to know a little bit more about how MEME actually looks within um, within a city, within a city's provision. So here in Hull, how long has the MEME partnership been in existence? Whereabouts are you with that at the moment? In Hull, we started in November with a MEME coordinator. We'd had um, quite a few meetings prior to this to set things up strategically and operationally. And we'd spent a lot of time choosing the, the 15 who are our meme cohort. Everyone inputted into those decisions. So by November, we'd, we had funding in place and we were good to go. So, Tell me something about those 15 people within the cohort. What are the general characteristics? Or are there any sort of general backgrounds that are common to all of them? Across the 15, I would say the majority are extremely, or have been extremely chaotic individuals in the past repeat offending, substance misuse, mental health issues, homelessness as well. The common factor being that although they've engaged with services, they've engaged sporadically, the engagement that they have had has been ineffective engagement, um, maybe turning up every couple of months, not accessing the support that they could be accessing, not utilising the services that are already in place. Is there a gender divide? Are you working with more men than women? There is. Um, we have three female service users on the cohort and the 12 males. Um, I think that sort of falls in line with your homelessness statistics. Um, certainly across hostel accommodation, there is, it's usually about 70% male. I think it's really interesting when you look at the data that we have on who experiences multiple disadvantage, it's a, you know, reflects very much the picture that, that Emma just painted, that it's overwhelmingly male, it's overwhelmingly white men. But actually, if you look a little bit closer, that can be quite a misleading picture. Um, often the issues that men have are more visible. Men are much more likely to sleep rough, whereas, you know, women often experience other kind of more hidden forms of homelessness. Um, but as well as that, the issues that women face tend to be qualitatively different in lots of ways and particularly the the heavy kind of level of abuse and violence that are experienced by women you know one in 20 women has experienced extensive physical violence both as a child and as an adult you know that's a, a shocking statistic but the impact of that often continues through life so i think although we might see many of the people who are coming through services are men actually often those needs that women have go missed. And, and I think, you know, the work that our, our colleagues at Agenda um, are doing is, is a really important part of, of dealing with that. Um, also, it's, it's worth saying that we know that 
black men, for instance, are disproportionately represented in the in the prison system, and that has lots of knock-on effects in the, the the way that they need support when they come out, and also the way that we deal with those issues and the way that people are treated in custody. The clients themselves, then, those receiving support from this meme approach, do they actually know that they are part of a new approach? They are all aware. Some are engaging better than others. I think some it will take some time and a bit more of a softly, softly approach to get the engagement to be effective. Um, The majority are engaging really well. They were spoken to at the beginning uh, when we started the service as to what it would mean for them, what that their needs and wants would be sort of the main focus of this and how we could help them to be accessing services and to be maintaining their independence, securing housing and dealing with the things that they wanted to deal with in an order that they they felt they could deal with this effectively. Has there been any suspicion? Um, you know, if you, you've worked with a client for 15 years, 20 years, and all of a sudden you're taking a completely different approach with that client, are the clients suspicious of this new approach? Because we've introduced a meme coordinator a lot of the clients didn't know her previously. So although they know that she works closely with other services, she's very standalone in the fact that, you know, they they don't come to her office to see her, she can meet them in McDonald's if she wants to meet, you know, if that's what their preference is. And it's solely centred around them. So they don't only get to access her when they're housed. They don't only access her when they show up for appointments. They can they can engage with her at any time, really. I think what Emma describes there, that kind of, that relationship almost of of trust that has to be built over time. And and as you say, often trust that comes after a long period where people have been often treated um, very badly or have been let down. That's absolutely vital. And I think we see that across all of the work that we do, that it's not just about having the right systems and having the right kind of staff in place. It's also having the right relationships and working with people in a way that recognises that sometimes they may not have got the help they needed when they asked for it in the past. And just like you or I would, if we've been repeatedly denied something that we felt we needed, we would feel suspicious of anybody who came to us and suddenly said they were going to solve all our problems. So I think it's so important to build that that strong relationship. And a lot of the things that we saw in the past made that much harder to do. And I think that's a big part of what the partnership's there to help with. I think one of the differences we've seen as well, more as frontline workers, is that previously when, when it, services have tried to engage a specific individual, maybe the individual has then not engaged and the services have sort of left them alone. But with this, there's quite a bit of sort of perseverance, if you like. It's, right, okay, you don't want to see me today. I'm going to come back tomorrow. We'll try again. And and I think that consistency from the meme service on the whole is proving to the service user that they may have been let down previously, but this is different and we will keep coming back and coming back until, you know, we start seeing some positive engagement and stuff like that. And I think being able to follow someone in their journey, um, wherever that kind of might take them. So traditionally, an outreach worker will work with you until you're in the hostel and then the hostel 
support worker will work with you for six months or whatever until you move on and then someone else will work with you whereas the meme coordinator will stick with you they may work alongside those other workers that are also you know working on your case in in an outreach capacity or a support worker capacity but that person doesn't leave your side so if things start to go wrong again they quickly pick you back up and give you that intense wraparound support again so that things don't go back to square one we know that people's journeys don't necessarily go you know go in one linear positive route they they will kind of go up and down and people will have blips and face challenges but they have that consistent person it always amazes me how shocked clients are that that person's still there even when they've told them you know the day before they never want to see them again and normally for a lot of services that has to mean case closed this person's been very clear they don't want to see me again kind of thing the shock on service users face when that person comes back and they're still there for them Um, because that might be the first time that someone has ever always been there for that person so it really those relationships are absolutely key to making this work Emma tell me something without naming names Um, some of the outcomes that you're achieving in the city so we had a quite a well-known gentleman who was well known for offending he was in and out of prison and he was our first client on the meme service and we um we adopted the housing first approach so we got him in a property and we started to engage with him from then he had been previously excluded from many services and many areas of the city so we began um quite slowly with him really with the engagement side of it he sort of fell into it quite quickly really um he started seeking out his meme coordinator wherever she was on that particular day and he started to want to engage, which previously um, he would say that he had been let down by services, services hadn't wanted to continue working with him. And this was generally after sort of his erratic behaviour or antisocial behaviour and, and services really not knowing how to communicate effectively. So I think I know this particular gentleman and he's, he's, he's now in accommodation, he's receiving support from you. Uh, what was his reaction to actually coming off the streets and having his first night or his first week in his own home? He really enjoyed it from, from day one. We have had people previously who struggle when coming off the streets. But in this particular case, he, he really enjoyed it and he sort of went round all the services who, who he had previously known to tell them how well he was doing and to tell them all about his new property and how happy he was and and sort of you know, to share his good news. Um, what, what wraparound support is this fella also receiving? Surprisingly, he, he has engaged really well, so he's got um, a complex needs support worker who visits him. He also has a, a designated housing officer to deal with anything to do with his tenancy. He was on probation when we started off on the service and he began to engage really well with his probation worker. He's since been signed off probation in January for the first time in massive number of years. To what extent does a fella like this um, have control of the pace of support? I mean, is it is it sort of heavy hands down on these people? Or, or is there really this flexibility to, to work with these people at a pace appropriate to their particular needs? It's, um, it's strange, really, because it, it really is entirely up to him. We don't make designated appointments um, too far in advance. We maybe plan for something the next day. I know that 
his work, I went to see him this morning and he wasn't in the mood. He wanted a, a day of peace. He didn't want to go out and do the plans that they'd previously discussed. So they've left that for another day. It really is as and when he needs it. And like I said earlier, he knows how to contact his meme coordinator and he does so. He will get into contact with her if he wants something specific. And has he started watching all of these sort of house um, house building programs on TV and uh, decorating programs, all of that sort of yeah, thing? No, no, he's not. He's not gone that far. He likes his game shows, and that's about it. Um, he's quite content with his his property. He, he thinks he's living like a king, and and for him, you know, he is. It's it's lovely to see. Um, how do you feel about the meme partnership here in the city of Hull? Are the right organisations, the right number of organisations, already around the table? Or is this partnership going to grow? Have you identified any gaps in that service provision? There is a potential it will grow. Already we are seeing changes with the partnerships that we've got. We're already seeing flexibility. We're seeing different services who want to be involved and want to know what they can do to make a change, which... When everyone's worked in a specific way for so long, it's really refreshing to see that people are willing to look at things from a different angle um, and sort of base things back around the service user to the best of their ability, really. It's been, it has, it's been really positively received. So really good outcomes being made for service users, for clients that are accessing the meme approach. But it seems to me that there might also be uh, really positive outcomes for people working in the sector. Is that right? Yeah, I think we've seen this um, with staff teams working on this. It's really liberating to have permission to try and do something differently. Um, I used to do the frontline work um, in one of the Fulfilling Lives areas in the West Yorkshire Finding Independence. And it was the first time really that I had been worked in a in a project where it basically given permission to do what it takes within reason to help someone um, and I hadn't even really realized before how rigid services that I'd worked in previously were I just I just kind of thought that's how services were and I and I didn't really have the space to know that there was a different way of doing things and that's what we're asking in in mean partnerships is for strategic partners and senior partners to really give permission to the front line to try new things because they really are the experts in this they know their stuff they know what works but often they're just not allowed to do it and when you can do that I think we see you know job satisfaction increasing um, and outcome you know everyone wants a good outcome for their client we don't do frontline work for any other reason really. Yeah and Sam have the commissioners got happy smiley faces about this new approach? I think we're certainly seeing real benefits in the sense that a lot of the kind of things we've described that people go through are not just incredibly difficult and damaging and upsetting for them as individuals, but they're also phenomenally expensive for the services that they come into contact with. The expense of sending somebody to prison, one of the most, you know, pretty much the most expensive thing you can do. Um, the expense of people visiting A&E um, again and again because they're not getting the right kind of medical support. In the evaluation that we've done so far of areas that are using the meme approach, we've seen that the cost to those wider services goes down by about a quarter over two years. So that's the sort of costs associated with people being in custody, in prison, and then sort of using kind of emergency and acute health services. 
Now, it's important to say that for the commissioners, that doesn't necessarily add up to you know, money in their pocket to spend on things, because obviously all of these things are often funded separately. And one of the real challenges can be getting the, the, the funding mixture right. Um, so it may be the case that if you save money through somebody not going to A&E, the benefits may not go back to the person who commissioned the service that helped do that. And I think that's one of the things increasingly we're looking at in our work with local areas is how do you make sure that as well as um, as well as seeing these benefits to the way that people use services, that you're actually seeing kind of that recognised in the way those services are commissioned and paid for. So we have a system that, as I said before, makes the best use of the resources you've got. But certainly, I think a lot of the commissioners that we're working with see this as the only way that they can do their jobs and the opportunity not only to make sure they're making the best use of the, of the scarce resources they have, but also that they're seeing the people who they are commissioning services on behalf of getting better outcomes, going on to do the things that they were, might not have been able to do before, like have stable accommodation, maybe even go into work. You know, those benefits really can't be underestimated.